All right. I thought, well, maybe I don't remember things right. And then we got to that first hallelujah, and I thought, I've heard Brother Mike yell that I don't know how many times. Uh, anyways, the number of times I've wished he didn't know that it was there. But anyways, Second Corinthians chapter 1 tonight is where we're going to be. Second Corinthians chapter 1. It is good to see each of you tonight. I hope you've had a good week. and I hope it's been a safe week. I trust that it has been. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we will get started. Father, we are thankful for this day and Lord, we are thankful for your goodness to us. And Lord, there is much to be thankful for. It's good to have each person here tonight. And Lord, it's especially good to have Brother Ray back with us tonight. Thank you for the strength that you've given him and the well recovery thus far. God, for those in our church right now who are sick, for those who are recovering, for those who are traveling, we do pray that you'd give them safety and, Lord, that you'd raise them up. And, God, that uh, you'd restore them back to our fellowship soon. God, I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, you may remember, we spent our time in verse number 12 and watched as the Apostle Paul spoke of how he rejoiced by way of his conscience Basically, what the Apostle Paul was saying was this, is that in his dealings with people in general, but especially with the believers there in Corinth, he was able to declare that his conscience was clear, and then he went on to explain what it was that allowed him to enjoy a clear conscience. He said that it had to do with the simplicity and godly sincerity that he lived with, as well as the fact that he did not live and did not uh, uh, walk about through life according to uh, sorry, fleshly wisdom. And so we talked about how that meant that there was consistency in Paul's life, there was a freedom from blatant hypocrisy, there was a genuineness about his walk with the Lord, and then the fact that he tried to handle himself with godly wisdom. And so last week I tried to remind us that accusations can come against us from anywhere at any time, and while we may not be able to control that, and while we may not be able to stop that, there is value to you and I being able to have a clear conscience in the midst of those accusations. And so I tried to show us that if we want to be able to have a clear conscience in the midst of accusations, we have to be consistent, we have to be free from blatant hypocrisy, we have to be genuine in our walk with the Lord, and then in addition to that, there has to be a godly wisdom that we strive to live according to rather than a worldly wisdom that we would live with. And so that is what we talked about last week. Tonight's message is going to build upon that. In addition to building upon last week's message, it is also going to overlap to an extent. And so some of this may seem somewhat repetitive. That's all right. I am aware of that, and I think the repetition can help us as we move forward tonight. So that being said, I want you to do me a favor right now. All right, I don't ask a whole lot of you most often, but tonight I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to think about your house, and I want you to think about one item in your home that is valuable to you. It doesn't have to be valuable to anyone else. It doesn't even have to be valuable by way of a monetary value on it. I just want you to think of something in your home that might be of value to you. It could be something as simple as a set of dishes that grandma gave you. It could be something by way of a souvenir from a trip that you took. It might be something like a gun or a piano. I don't care what it is. Think about something in your home that has value to you. I'm giving you a second. 
Does everybody have something in your mind that you might be thinking of? All right. Now, as you have that in your mind, I want to ask you a question in relation to that item. Again, I don't care what the item is. It doesn't have to be valuable to anyone but you. Here is the question I want to ask you as it relates to that, to, as it relates to that item. How careless are you with that item? Whatever that item is, how careless and how reckless are you with that item? Here is what I would suspect if you are anything like me, if you are anything like most of the people I know, that if something is valuable to you, you are not careless and you are not reckless with it. If you value something, whatever it is, here is what would be true of you more times than not. I think if we were honest, what we would say is this, is as it relates to this item, we are very careful with it. We are very guarded when it comes to this. We are, we are very mindful of it. We don't let people just use it or, or touch it or whatever it may be without some kind of an oversight to it. Uh, we would say, no, because this has value associated with it, in my opinion, I am not careless. I am very careful with it. I am very guarded with it. It's something that I take care of immensely. And whatever that item is that you are careful with and that you are somewhat guarded with, let me ask you this. Is it something that you bemoan that you have to guard it and be careful with it? Is it something that is somewhat of a drudgery to you? Is it, is it something that in your mind you would say something like this, ah, oh, it's such a burden to have to worry about this? It's probably not, right? Whatever it is, because it is valuable to you, it is not a burden at all to protect it. It is not a burden at all to guard it and to keep it safe. And as long as it's in your possession, you'll be more than happy to do so. Now that in mind, this evening, as I said just a moment ago, there's going to be some overlap in the message from tonight and what was dealt with last week. And so tonight I want us to remember that not only in last week's message, but in the previous messages, we have been reminded that the Apostle Paul has come under attack as a result of his ministry, as a result of his serving the Lord. We know from verse number 8 that he said he did not want them to be ignorant of what happened to them by way of trouble there in Asia. And it is very much, it seems, in verse number 8, a physical attack that he was talking about, something that was happening to him and those who traveled with him of a very physical, literal nature. But when we were in verse number 12, and last week as I talked about how the Apostle Paul was under attack, I said this, that it was people attacking him because of his position in the ministry. And from verse number 12, what it does not seem to be as much as it was in verse number 8 it doesn't seem to be as much as a physical attack on the Apostle Paul, but rather an attack on his character and his integrity, who he was as an individual. I'll elaborate on that in just a moment, but I want us to think about this. 
If you've ever been physically attacked, you know that that's not fun, right? If you ever had an older brother or an older sister or just someone bigger than you that could whoop you, you know that that was not a fun position to be in, right? I've been whooped a couple of times by my brother. Thankfully, it's been a long, long time ago. But I'm just saying, I never got done with that and said, that was fun, could we do it again? It's just not fun to go through that kind of physical abuse. But I would ask you tonight to consider this. If you've ever had your character or your integrity attacked, here is what you know. Though it is not as painful physically, it is still something that is immensely painful to you emotionally and mentally. Would you agree? If it's never happened to you, then you don't have to pretend that you understand this. But, but I would say that if I, you know, I've not been whooped in a long time, but when certain people have attacked my character or my integrity, it stung and it hurt in a much different way, of course, but almost as badly as getting whooped physically. It's just not enjoyable to have to go through that. So here's the Apostle Paul, and it seems as though his character, his integrity, who he was as a person was under attack. We don't even know who the accusers were per se, but the verses we'll look at tonight lead us to believe this, that at least two things were being criticized and attacked there in the church in Corinth that were directly related to the Apostle Paul and his ministry, something that was directed at him personally. And here was the first one, that he was less than honest in his correspondence or his letters to the believers in Corinth. That somehow with the words that the Apostle Paul was writing to the believers in Corinth, there were those who were saying essentially what they needed to do was read between the lines because though Paul said this, what he really meant was this. Though Paul wrote these words, what you really had to do was look at it from this angle or consider it from this angle because Paul didn't really mean what was said and what was written. You couldn't take his words at face value, so they questioned his integrity by way of the honesty and by way of the transparency in which he wrote his letters to them. And the second thing that seemed to be under attack was this, is just his overall honesty by way of his intentions. Okay, his overall honesty by way of his intentions and his relationship to the believers in Corinth. So here he is, he has dealt with the physical abuse, he has dealt with the physical attacks, but now his character and his integrity are being attacked in these ways that he was not honest by way of his correspondence and he was not honest by way of his intentions as it related to his desires to visit the believers there in Corinth. How do we know that? Well, look in verse number 13. Here is what we read. In verse number 13, Paul says this, For we write none other things unto you than what ye read or acknowledge or understand or are aware of, and I trust ye shall acknowledge or understand or be aware of even to the end. So here is what the Apostle Paul is basically saying in verse number 13. Listen, believers in Corinth, what I wrote is what I meant. 
And what I meant is exactly what I wrote. There was no hidden message. There was no subliminal messages trying to be conveyed in the words that I wrote. I wasn't trying to be cute. I wasn't trying to be tricky. You do not need to read between the lines. I said to you exactly what needed to be said. I said exactly to you what I felt I was supposed to write. And so he said, that is how it was. And I trust that you are aware of this. I trust that you know this. I trust that you're mindful of it. He goes on to say in verse number 14, As also ye have acknowledged us in part, or been aware of us in part, that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he said, listen, you should know this about us, and you should be aware of this, that as you rejoiced in us, we rejoice in you, and again, what I said to you was exactly what I meant. So look in verse number 15. He said, And in this confidence, based on this relationship that I believe we have established amongst ourselves, he said, I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit. Well, what does that mean? It just means this that Paul is saying, it was my intention and it was my desire to come to you a second time that you might have a second benefit. He explains in verse number 16, and to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. So again, here's what Paul is saying in verse number 13. Hey, listen, when it comes to what I wrote to you, you don't need to question that. You don't need to doubt that. I said to you exactly what it was I wanted to say. And as it relates to my intentions to come to you, I had every intention to come a second time, to come as I was headed to Macedonia and then to come back and visit you by way of my return from Macedonia. He says in verse number 17, When I therefore was thus minded... Did I use lightness? Now notice he's posing a question to them. This is somewhat rhetorical in nature. So he says, whenever I conveyed to you my mind and my intention to come and visit with you, was I lighthearted in how I handled this? Did that seem to be flippant? Did it seem to be just some casual, off-the-cuff comment? He goes on to say, or the things that I purpose, what I intend to do, do I purpose according to the flesh? Do you think this is how I handle myself, believers there of Corinth? Do you think that I just kind of decide, hey, I think I'll do this, or hey, I'll do this? Would you be willing to suggest, believers of Corinth, that that I don't pray about this, that I don't seek the Lord's will on this, to know when I should visit and to, to know where I should go and to the people I should invest in. He said, do you purpose according to you, or uh, do I purpose according to the flesh that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? What does that mean? Well, it just means this. Is that how you view me? That you really think I just say whatever's convenient for the moment? If I need to say yes over here, I'll say yes. And if I need to say no over here, I'll say no. 
is, is that how you view me? Is that what you think of me? I mean, is that really who I am to you? Again, these are all rhetorical in nature. They are questions that have obvious answers to them. So he says in verse number 18, But as God is true, our word to you was not yea and nay. What does that mean? It means this. Well, God is truthful and God is honest and God is reliable and God is trustworthy and God is dependable. And he said, I want you to know this, that our word toward you was not yea and nay. It's not that we were fickle. It's not that we couldn't decide. It's not that we couldn't make up our mind. He goes on to say in verse number 19, how the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus or Silas and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. Verse number 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him, amen, or affirmed unto the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ hath anointed us is God, who hath sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. This is important, verse number 23. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you, I came not as yet unto Corinth. So what is Paul saying? He is saying this. God is my witness. The reason that I have not yet come to Corinth is to spare you, because you may remember in 1 Corinthians, the tone of the letter was a bit harsh and somewhat condemnatory. And at one point, Paul said, hey, listen, I don't mind coming in the spirit or in the flesh. I don't mind taking care of this the good way or the rough way. And so here is Paul saying, hey, listen, by the, by the witness of God, by the testimony of God, the record of God upon my soul, I came not as yet unto Corinth. So this isn't the result of me being fickle, me not being able to make up my mind. This is because of how God has led and because of how God has directed. Amen. You following this? Yes. All right. So Paul has dealt with the attack of the enemy from a physical standpoint. He has then dealt with the attack of someone or some group of people on him attacking his character and attacking his integrity. He's not honest in his correspondence and what he says and what he means. There's a dual meaning and subliminal messages in that. And then he's not honest by way of his relationship with us or with you, the believers of Corinth, and his intentions to visit you, to see you again, to invest in you. And so what does Paul have? He has accusers. He has accusers. Just like we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul has accusers. Now, the Apostle Paul was not able to confront every, confuse, uh, every accuser toward him or who was directing the accusations toward him. But what was he able to do? He was able to write a, letter, write a letter at least to some of the believers in Corinth, whoever would read this, and he was able to say this to them. Now, is that really how I handled myself with you? 
Is that really the reputation that I have with you? Is this really the way that I conduct myself, that I'm fickle and I can't make up my mind and I just say whatever's convenient for the moment? Is that really the way that I am? Well, if the Corinthian believers knew anything about the Apostle Paul, what did they know the answers to? They knew the answers to all those questions, right? They knew that the Apostle Paul was not fickle. They knew the Apostle Paul was not someone who couldn't make up his mind. They knew the Apostle Paul was not someone who just said whatever was convenient for the moment. And so as Paul is writing this letter, as he is dealing with this attack on his integrity, and he is asking these rhetorical questions, you know what the believers of Corinth were able to do? They were able to remind themselves, you know, Paul's right, that's not who he is. That's not how he handles himself. That's not how he conducts himself. So whoever it was that was trying to get into the head and to the mind of the believers of Corinth upon reading these words, you know what they were able to do? They were able, if they chose to, to step back, get everything squared away in their minds and say, yeah, you're right. That makes no sense. That's not how the Apostle Paul conducts himself. So with, the, with this attack on his integrity, I want us to think about this question. How was the Apostle Paul able to straighten things out with those who were willing to be straightened out? How was he able to straighten things out with a pen and some paper? It's actually very simple. He was able to do so because of his testimony. You understand this? He was able to get everything squared away and everything resolved with those who were willing to listen. He was able to square everything away and remove the doubts and the questions out of their mind because all Paul had to do was direct them to his personal testimony by way of his interaction when he was with them there in the city of Corinth. And based on his testimony, they were able to see, yeah, that's right, that's not who Paul is, and everything that's been said about him is just a lie. It's not true. We can take what he says at face value, and if he says that he hasn't come because he's prayed about it and the Lord hasn't given liberty, then we can know without a doubt that the reason he hasn't come is because he's prayed about it and God hasn't given liberty. And it's like they could kind of sit back and say, all right, those people are just trying to fill my mind with lies. The testimony that Paul had established with the believers of Corinth was able to dispel the doubts and the questions they may have had. So it kind of brings up this question. How did Paul have that kind of a testimony with believers that he had invested in such a short amount of time, comparatively speaking, over the years of his ministry? How did that happen? Well, here's how it happened. You may say this is somewhat of a stretch, but I would argue with you, obviously. 
He was able to do that because obviously when he was with the believers of Corinth, his testimony was so valuable to him that he would do everything it required to protect his testimony so that should his testimony come under attack, all he had to do was point people back to his testimony and say, come on now, you know better. Paul was very careful with his testimony as opposed to someone who may have been very careless with his testimony. He had worked so hard to build the testimony and to gain the trust and to maintain the testimony and to maintain the trust. He had worked so hard to build that testimony that he was not going to be careless with it because had he been careless with his testimony, he could not have withstood the accusations that would have come against him. If there had been a lack of consistency and genuineness to his testimony, he could not have set the record straight with the few simple statements and questions that had obvious answers to it. Now that may not be exciting, but we're going someplace important. All right? All right. Where is this exciting or unexciting yet important truth taking us. All right. Every one of us, as I mentioned last week, have the chance to be the recipient of accusations. Every one of us have the opportunity to be the recipient of accusations against us. It doesn't matter what walk of life, it doesn't matter what area of life you want to talk about, every one of us have the same opportunity. Now that in mind, this is true of everyone, but it is especially true of professing believers, and that would be this, that every one of us have a testimony as being a child of God, as being a follower of Christ, as being a believer. I really think that if we took a survey tonight, most of us would give testimony to this idea that we are believers, that we are Christians, that we are followers of Christ. Now, friends, that is something that we possess, that testimony that we would give to this world anybody that we would come into contact with. That is something that you and I have in our possessions. Now, I understand that you can't put your hands on a testimony like you could a gun or like you could a piano or like you could some souvenir for a trip that means much to you. But I'd like us to consider this, that of all the things that are important to us and of all the things that have value to us, of all the things that should matter immensely to us, It should be our testimony in this world. Of all the things that we value and cherish, it should be the testimony that we profess to be children of God, to be followers of Christ. And friends, if that is something that we would suggest we value 
like we would some item in our home, then you know what we cannot afford to be with it? We cannot afford to be careless with our testimony. It is something that we have to be careful with, and it is something that we have to be on extreme alert and high guard with. And here's the thing. As cumbersome as it seems sometimes, as much of a burden as it feels to be sometimes, we have to always be careful with our testimony. Where do I have to be careful with this testimony of Christianity and God following and Christ following that I have? Where do I have to be careful with this thing? Well, you really need to be careful with your testimony at work. You really do. The people that you come into contact with at work, listen, you have got to be careful with that testimony because if you're not careful with the testimony, what will happen is, is one day your testimony will be under attack, whether it be your character or your integrity or your sincerity or your honesty, whatever it is, it will come under attack. And if you've not been careful with your testimony, you know what? The accusation will stick far more than you believe it deserves to. Where do I have to be careful with this testimony? I have to be careful with this testimony at work. I've got to be careful with this testimony in the home. Well, you know, I really feel like in the home is where I can let my hair down and just let me, you know, just be myself. If I can't be myself in the home, where can I be myself? Well, you can be yourself in the home so long as yourself in the home is a God-honoring individual striving to please the Lord. If that's not who you are in the home, then you've got bigger issues to deal with. But it ought to be that what you are in public and what I am in public, that ought to be the very same thing that our spouse sees, that our children sees. There ought not be any difference between the public life and the private life because if there is not consistency and there is not a careful guard over our testimony, then when the accusations come, they'll not be as easy to deny or to dismiss if we've not been careful with the testimony. Where else do I have to guard this testimony? Like with extended family. You realize this, don't you? You know, they're they're family. They understand. Yeah, they may understand, but guess what? They're also not stupid. Well, you know, the extended family, they they, they just, they know that this is what I, you know, what I am and things of that nature. Yeah, see, the problem, though, with that is, is if you're careless with your testimony with your extended family, someone in the extended family will see that, and one day that weakness will be exploited. 
And the accusation will come, and, and, and it might be like the Apostle Paul that we want to say, wait, now, hold on, hold on, now, is that really what you think? And you know what they'll say? Uh, no, it's not what I think, it's what I know based on what I've seen of you all these years. Where do I have to be careful and guarded of this testimony that I possess? Going into Walmart, where your testimony will be challenged. Where do I have to guard my testimony? At the stoplight, waiting on the person to just hurry up and turn. It ain't going to get any greener. That's hard to remember sometimes, isn't it? I looked at someone the other day, and thankfully my windows were up, but I thought, you know, if you're waiting on that stop sign to turn green, it, it's just not going to happen. Get off your phone, pay attention, let's do something. Now, I'm not saying my thoughts were wrong, like pay attention, you're behind the wheel of a car, but what I am saying is, I've got to be careful to not get overly aggressive in my expression of a desire for them to move because that could affect my testimony. See, I'm just saying. You and I can't afford to be careless with our testimony at any time. Because there may very well come a day that we need to defend our testimony. And if we've been careless, we'll not have any ability to defend ourselves against the accusations, at least not with any credibility. Ask yourself this question. I know the answer, but I want to ask you this question anyways. Have you ever heard someone talked about that you knew? And the subject of conversation about the person that you knew didn't really paint that person in the most positive of lights. You ever been involved in a conversation like that? I'm not accusing you of gossip. I'm just saying, you know, you were, you know, you were just somewhere and, and somebody was talking about someone else and you may not have even engaged in the conversation. You may have just overheard what somebody else was saying, and, and they were talking about this person, and what was being said was not exactly real positive. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you immediately assumed that what was being said about that person was true? You know, this person's not bragging on them. This person is saying they're a jerk. This person did this. This person said that. Could you believe that they did that with their family? Can you believe that they did that in front of the grandkids? Can you believe that they did that, whatever it may be? And as you heard that, you thought to yourself, I can believe it. I have no problems believing that. You know why you had no problems believing that? Because whoever that subject of conversation was had been extremely careless with their testimony rather than extremely careful with their testimony. We've got to remember that that shoe fits on the other foot as well. 
Do you know that if we're careless with our testimony, somewhere someone is going to be talking about us and it won't be positive? Do you know that that person is a jerk? Did you know that that guy that goes down to Grace Baptist Church, you know that lady that goes down to that church, you know that family that goes down to that church, can you believe that he said this, that he did this, she said this, she did that, whatever it may be, and there's going to be someone, if we're careless with our testimony, they may not even be involved in the conversation, but because they know us, they'll be sitting there or standing there saying, I don't have any problems believing that. Sounds just like them. We've got to remember that our testimony, if we're careless with it, will keep us from being able to defend ourselves when we come under attack. But if we are careful, you know what's amazing? Somebody can say something like this. Do you hear what he said? And the person who hears what supposedly he said they could say something like this. That ain't what he said. Because he doesn't talk that way. Did you hear what he did? They're lying. He didn't do it. I've known that person long enough to know he doesn't do that kind of stuff. Do you know what she did? That's not what she did. That's not how she acts. See, when we're careful with our testimony... It is so much easier to correct the false accusations that come against us. But if we're loose with our testimony and we don't give it the attention it, it deserves because it's such a burden, it will come back and bite us. I promise you, I guarantee it. Probably some of us tonight, if we were honest, would have to say this. We're still trying to live down some of our reputation from years ago because of how careless we were in the past. We're still trying to convince people that that's not who we are anymore. I'm just saying, look at the Apostle Paul, and he was able to say, come on, guys, you know better than this. This isn't how I operate. This isn't how I function. And it was able to set them straight in their thinking toward him. I just want us to be reminded tonight, we've got something precious and valuable to us. At least it ought to be valuable and precious to us in our testimony. We ought to guard it, we ought to be careful, and we ought to protect it like it means something to us. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to... Consider our testimony and maybe how we might be careless with it from time to time in our daily lives. Or it may be that we work so hard on our public persona and what we want people to believe, and yet who we are in private, it's just not the same. God, I pray that whatever the situation is, you would help us to be careful, that you would help us to be mindful of it, no matter the weight of the responsibility. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.